This is Transit Unplugged. I'm Paul Comfort. Good to be with you on another edition of the world's leading transit executive podcast, Transit Unplugged News and Views this week. And this week is part two of our series featuring honorees from Mass Transit Magazine's Top 40 Under 40 for 2022. We're excited to have three more of the honorees today. First, we hear from Carlos Cruz Casas, who is Chief Innovation Officer at the Miami-Dade County Department of Transportation and Public Works in Florida, and Roman Steichen, Director of Transit Services in Frederick County in my home state of Maryland. And then we hear from Sophia Malitz Franklin, who is the Director of Fair Revenue and Administrative Services at TriMet in Portland, Oregon. These are some great and inspiring interviews. Make sure you listen to all three today. I'm also excited to have with us the editor-in-chief of Mass Transit Magazine, Misha Wanick-Libman. Misha, thanks so much for being with us today. Tell us a little about this program. Thanks for having us, and thanks for uh, giving us a chance to highlight this program again. Uh, I hope uh, your listeners, if they missed last week's episode, will check out last week. Uh, If they did miss last week, uh, just a a little bit about our uh, 40 Under 40 program. Uh, It's really uh, designed as a way to spotlight that next generation of leadership that will be carrying the transit industry uh, forward uh, past what what my working career will be. Um, this year, we had a record number of entrants, of nominations. Um, so it's always a hard decision to, to parse it down to 40 honorees. Uh, but this year, I think we have a, a particularly strong group of honorees uh, that represents a, a good mix of what the transit industry has to offer. Um, and we've got, you know, a handful of them here on this podcast. We uh, highlighted two of them last week. Uh, so this this program really gives us a chance to shine that spotlight uh, on that next generation. Yeah. And if our listeners haven't uh, seen the the top 40 under 40, I'd encourage you to get a copy of Mass Transit Magazine. Subscribe. It doesn't cost anything. It's one of the great things in the industry that you can get for free, just like this podcast. And uh, and make sure you read uh, a little bit about each one. I told Misha last time, I think that they've done a really good job of um, highlighting um, uh, across a good cross section of the industry, both public and private sector, men and women, all races and, and all the kind of approaches. And what I like also is all the different positions. It hasn't all been, you know, executives. It's been people who've been in the planning department, people who've been in innovation like Carlos is in plus some directors like Roman, but it's a nice spread. And so you get a, you get a feel for what's happening in the industry. One of the, um, most potent things I think about our industry for people who want to maybe consider it for a career, which is partly why I do this series is I want young people to know that they can have a real career and shine in our industry is there's so many different positions, right, Carlos? I mean, you could, I mean, you've done this, you've worked for a city, you've worked for um, the County, you've done multiple different positions. I mean, you, anything you can think of HR, finance, IT, procurement, legal, PR, plus tons of operating jobs. There's uh, so many different positions you can get in this industry. Wouldn't you agree, Carlos? Um, yeah, yeah. I myself have uh, quite a bit of uh, change over the last uh, 15 years working in the industry. Tell us about that. Tell us a little about yourself, your background, and what you do now for the county. Yes. So uh, I'll try to keep it short, uh, Paul. I think this is uh, a great conversation. Uh, I'm a civil engineer. I'm a civil engineer that decided to actually pursue transportation as, uh, as my passion, right? I figure out that I can actually help more people if I move into that direction. So I did a master's in urban transportation planning and engineering. Uh, that basically set myself to be a consultant, right? Uh, and, and they started kind of doing a lot of great work 
Uh, but there was a moment in my life, an early career, about five years in, that I realized that we're doing a lot of great work. And all these kind of documents were actually leading into a P, uh, printed document that would sit on the shelf somewhere. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm like, I was like, this is not acceptable. Writers really, of the Lost Ark. Remember that I, at the <laughs> end when they, they spent the whole movie trying to get it and then the end is put in some warehouse, right? Yeah. And I was like, no, I need. I, it's got to be someone that pushed the envelope, someone that actually take this to the next step. So the opportunity came in and became the chief transportation manager of the city of Miami. And actually, I can tell you from a consultant developing plans and projects to actually being able to seek for funding and execute at the city. And now uh, the county assistant director and then became chief innovation officer kind of lets me kind of to see the transition from creating and ideating to implementing projects that are being in the books for 10 years. Right. So I think that to me, it is it is uh, illuminating the fact that we it, when, when the opportunity is there, we can seek for it. We can actually deliver a solution for our, our residents, friends and families. That's great. Um, Roman, let's talk about that for a minute. As we talk to maybe young people or people uh, who want to maybe advance their career, you've done that as well, right? I mean, you started out as a driver. Uh, tell us about your background and career and what you do. And I think it's interesting that both of you now work for county governments, uh, which maybe we can talk a little bit about as well. We don't focus on that a lot, but transportation is not just run by city governments or by independent agencies uh, who are quasi-governmental like a WMATA or a SEPTA. It's also run by county governments. So I think it's fortuitous that we have two people here that work in that structure. Roman, tell us a little about yourself, my friend. Hi, Paul. Thanks for having me. Uh, so yeah, I started very young. In 2004, I got my CDL at University of Maryland for the shuttle system there. And I started driving because I, you know, walking around campus, I was a computer science major once upon a time. And, you know, I saw the buses running around and I thought that could be a fun job. Uh, so I started driving the buses and, you know, I just kind of never looked back. Uh, so at Maryland, you know, I worked my way up from driver through dispatcher, uh, operations supervisor, and I was a full-time operations supervisor there for a couple of years. And then I went to Johns Hopkins University uh, and I ran their transportation system for a couple of years. And then in 2018, I came up here to Frederick uh, as deputy director. And also I was a part-time driver here in Frederick for, uh, for a couple of years when I was living in the city. Um, I, my first day as director here was February 29th of 2020. Uh, so you can imagine that, you know, my my upbringing here as director has been uh, anything but, um, you know, it, whatever word you want to use. It's not been uh, it wasn't ideal, but it has been a fun ride. And it did give me, you know, I, I was put in the unique position to on the fly rethink how transit is delivered here in Frederick County. Um so, you know, one of the first things that I did was implemented a culture shift. This is not your grandparents' transit anymore. Uh, so I, you know, empowered others to be better versions of themselves, gave them freedom to explore their interests and strengths and provide opportunities for improvement and personal and professional development, gave them the tools that they needed to be successful. Uh, I challenged my staff every day to get involved with planning and development processes by providing feedback riding the system and soliciting feedback from riders and drivers and putting themselves in our rider's shoes. What would you consider to be a dignified experience and what can you do in your particular job to ensure that? Thanks, Roman and Carlos. Um, and while we're talking about kind of those from where you started versus where you've you've evolved and developed into as far as roles go, I guess how did how did those early experiences in your career, or if there was a specific early experience in your career, shape your outlook of the industry today? Roman, do you want to take, since we started with Carlos last time, we can start with you this time. 
Right. So, uh, you know, I am in the very unique position to be 37 years old and have 18 years in my professional you know, career. So uh, I was 19 years old when I started in this industry. Uh, and so there were lots of new experiences for me because it was my first my first actual job, my first, you know, professional setting. So I had a lot of learning to do uh, right off the bat. And I had some great mentors from day one. Uh, you know, showing me, you know, how, you know, how public transit works, what it takes to be successful as an office worker, as, uh, you know, as a driver, as a follower, and then working my way up through the ranks uh, to be a leader. And so I've, you know, again, at a relatively young age, have had a lot of experience with that. And so I can now pass that along to others as they come up through the ranks and pull them up with me. I'm not at the end of my career. I'm still, you know, toward the beginning of my career. So I can pull a lot of people up with me uh, and help them along in, with their experiences, just like, you know, I, I had help uh, when I was young in my career. Well, Roman, I'm just a few years older than you, not that much, right? Just as much. Actually, today to the to the day today, the 14, seven days into being 40. So, you know, it's, it's managed to kind of handle that through uh, um, this year. Uh, Misha, I, I think it was interesting for me. Uh, I was an undergrad in, in civil engineering, right? My goal was I'm going to be civil engineer. I'm going to be land surveyor. That's what I learned. That's why my, my father was. And that's what actually what I saw, thought it was my future. Um, and I, I got this opportunity just to work with uh, master's students uh, in University of Puerto Rico for the transportation program. Right. I had no idea that I wanted to pursue transportation. Right. And it just all of a sudden this opportunity to work with them. And, and uh, again, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm afraid of heights, I'll tell you this, I'll say it out loud. In my first job, uh, when I was probably, what, 18, 17, 19 years old at the moment, um, it was to mount video uh, analysis, video sensor cameras on the traffic signals. That was my job, right? There's this autoscope uh, from Econolite back in the day, the early ones for researchers to look into it and be out there. So I put myself on the, on the line, actually be, and start understanding, and just by mechanically connecting computer, I understood how people start moving. And I got interested more and more to actually have that conversation and pursue what transportation means for us, for, for us that basically design our cities, but also for people that live in our cities. And for, from transportation, for people moving, I think that was a moment for me to realize it doesn't matter whether it's a car, whether it's a bicycle, whether it's a transit. You know, ultimately, we want to facilitate the movement of people, right? And I think that, what to me, is what said, okay, from now on, I'm going to steer myself towards a, a master's degree in transportation planning. And help me kind of understand that and see ways to position myself towards the future growth on it. So I think it's always opportunity to do so. And it, it, to me, it's just find that passion and you understand what you want to do. But ultimately, understanding the outcomes of the work that we do is critical. That's great, Carlos. Thanks. Roman, tell us a little bit about, um, in addition to your role there um, at the agency, you're also actively involved as a board member of a transportation association. Each state in America, and um, there's some in Canada as well in the provinces, has most of them have their own transportation association. Here it's called TAM, Transportation Association of Maryland. You're a board member. You recently won an award. You've brought along with you, as you mentioned, people that you're helping to move up in your industry. One of them is your deputy is a friend of mine. She used to work with me at MTA. Uh, and so tell us a little about your kind of the extracurricular things that, that I mentioned there, you know, bringing up some staff, uh, working closely with your team, building a team, and then also the role you have in working with a transportation association at the state level. 
Well, uh, bringing up staff. So you, you're right. Uh, your your friend, my colleague and friend, uh, Jamie, uh, as my deputy, uh, she has, you know, she she has a lot of knowledge to bring to this industry. Um, you know, she doesn't have the uh, the classic transit experience that uh, somebody like me have who came up with, uh, you know, in operations. She has an entirely different skill set that complements mine, but this industry desperately needs. Uh, you know, she's forward thinking. Uh, she has, you know, the rider's best interest in mind and not saying that some of us don't, but she herself is a transit user and comes from that background and understands what transit riders need. And so bringing her along and helping her develop her leadership and professional skills and seeing the operations side, uh, it's, it's very fulfilling for both of us. And we are a wonderful team and we've been recognized many times for our teamwork and uh, that we are a model in Frederick County government for how a leadership team needs to operate. So we're quite proud of that. And uh, she's, she's somebody that I'm, I'm very happy to have on staff. And, you know, again, she, you know, honestly, she's training me as much as I'm training her. Um, Transportation Association of Maryland. Uh, I'm very active with them. I am on their board of directors. Um, you know, they do a lot of advocating for the smaller systems in Maryland. Uh, we're Frederick. We're one of 22 locally operated transit systems in the state. And TAM brings all of us together for training opportunities um, for events like a rodeo, uh, an annual conference that has trainings and vendor showcases and uh, and stuff like that. And Paul, I'm pretty sure I've seen you at one or two of those. Uh, so it's it's a wonderful agency to have uh, on our side, and I'm very happy to be uh, active with them. Thank you. Yeah, I just wanted to mention to our listeners that uh, if you are uh, a staff member in public transportation or even an operator, a driver, mechanic, whatever, your state most likely has an association. And I would encourage you to get involved in your state associations. I remember, Roman, when I was young, uh, I started out at 22 in transportation um, and over 30 years ago, and I um, – I remember going to my first TAM conference, Transportation Association of Maryland Conference, and I felt like up until then, I always say I felt like I was looking through a keyhole into this room of public mm-hmm. transportation. And then that first conference, it's like somebody opened the door to me and welcomed me in, and I I got to see all the great stuff. It's really what hooked me on transportation. I got you know super involved, became president of the state association, active in CTAA at the time, which is a national association for medium and smaller systems and tribal transit systems. So it is a very great way, in my opinion, to network and to build your uh, experience level to continue to move up in the industry. Mm-hmm. Now, Carlos, I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, the differentiation. So you've worked in a city. You worked for the city of Miami, and then you've worked for the county of Miami-Dade. Uh, both of them uh, had very interesting roles and accomplished a lot, which I'll ask you about later. But first, and by the way, you've got two great mayors. The mayor of, of uh, Miami, I got to see him at Commotion Miami, a group that you actually helped bring to Miami. Uh, mm-hmm. And he is phenomenal. Uh, and your mayor, uh, I've met her once before, too, just briefly. She's great, too, of your county. So tell us some about work in a county government versus a city government, anything about that structure? Yeah, and, and I could probably tell you from, from the perspective of Miami and the Miami-Dade area, right? Um, by, by state law, the, the, the Miami-Dade County has this uh, the jurisdiction of a mobility. So for us, it was it was always a challenge, if you will. When I, when I joined the city of Miami, 
as the chief transportation manager. My role was to to operate and basically launch and operate a local uh, municipal circulator program, to launch a bike share program, a car share program, to talk about um, uh, traffic calming within neighborhoods and then deal with the massive development that was coming in, right? Uh, however, in in our in our area, uh, basically the the county has full jurisdictional traffic traffic control devices, signals and signs, and so on. The county has jurisdiction over the final design of the roads, whether it's a city street. The city has to basically approve for it. Uh, the city, I, I launched a municipal service program, but they had to get approval from the county, right? So this is a unique kind of perspective. And it was it was probably like about two years in, three years in, that I was uh, talking with our deputy city manager at the moment. And I was like, man, would it be amazing to take full ownership of streets, signals, transit, and everything that moves within the city of Miami? And I was thinking this model of you know the New York environment, the New York City kind of to it. And and we we tried to pursue it because I ultimately when you have the separate organizations kind of pulling their own weight, it become a challenge. So the opportunity to join the county came in, and I think for us it was it was great. You know, it's the fact that now um, we are we are we our seat. If you think about it, is at the city of Miami. So Miami-Dade County encompasses of 34 municipalities, including uh, Miami, Miami Beach, and a bunch of others. Um, and we have full responsibility over transit and traffic movement, right? So to me, it was an ideal situation to come in. Uh, it is. It is. It is. Um, it takes time, but I think, you know, we have built a great relationship with municipalities and particularly, you know, I brought with me uh, t- the team that I thought it was going to be great and they are great. I, actually, our team uh, within uh, our department has municipal folks, people that came from cities that understand the nuances of, the, of dealing with the city and helping the cities through the county environment in order to achieve, right? I call one the internal troublemaker. His job is to make sure that he helps cities navigate the internal maze that sometimes we create ourselves or for supporting municipal partners in order to execute. Thank you for that. I think it's important for people to understand the interplay between the various levels of government in public transportation. As a young person, you may look at it and think, you know, oh, it's 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 uh, complex. No, there are very defined, clear roles uh, between the various layers of government and uh, and the interplay is so important if you're going to have an effective public transit system. Like you mentioned, Carlos, in many cities, the city's in charge of the road and the lights. And then the, the county or the independent transit agency runs the transit system, but they have to use those lights, you know, transit signal priority. They have to use those roads, bus only lanes, those kind of things. And your and your operation, it's actually almost the other way around where the county does control that as well as the transit system. But mm-hmm. that interplay, it's important to understand it. And I would encourage you, if you work at a transit agency, to make sure that you understand who's responsible for what. You have the interplay between them and you understand the roles that will help you navigate your career better. Would you agree? Definitely. Definitely. And, and even and even to this point, right, to, to even understand how to navigate that is, is critical because when I joined the county, it was a responsibility to merge public works, traffic and transit into one department. Right. And even being in one department, it's, it has its challenges. Right. So you really need to understand, you know, who to who to talk to and who to work with in order to maximize the outcomes. Yeah. And you've got a great leadership team in your agency with Euless Cleckley, the CEO and uh, a, a former great uh, leader from Maryland, your new COO, Sean Adgerson, who worked with me at the MTA. you got a great leadership team there. Oh, they're phenomenal, my friend. They're yeah. phenomenal. Misha. Yeah. So on on that topic of, of you know working within a similar department. But when we were chatting uh, before we started recording this, you know, I I mentioned that 
we view both of you as progressive leaders uh, and and leaders who are not happy with the status quo or doing things as they've always done. So how do you promote a similar way of thinking within your teams and make sure that that perpetuates and carries forward? Yep. So I, I can start. Uh, so to me, I, I think you said it right. I, I, I just, I'm not content with status quo. That's just, just my nature. I'm just not content with it. And, and ultimately, what I talk to my team uh, is, you know, let's, let's look at the outcomes. What are we trying to do with what, we, what we're doing? What's, what's the reason why we actually wake up every day and show up to the office, right? You know, um, I, I have now a, a team about 100 that, it, that encompasses the paratransit uh, team, the uh, a taxi and the limo regulation, and the transit customer service component, if you will, for the transit card. And uh, each one of them, they, re, they do something amazing for our community that it's not explicit. So I think we have to kind of come out and actually start looking into it and say, Finally, you know, you're making our community safer. You're actually helping people that need the most, you know, uh, mobility uh, needs uh, being served. And you're actually responding in day-to-day to the community, right? So to me is, let's figure out what is the outcomes. Let's try to identify what's our goal um, and give them room to, to find their own path to achieve that, right? I think it's critical for us. And one of the things I'm trying to, to bring into to quantify, which like, it is not easy to quantify, is if I'm able to say, you, we have a job to do. We have a task to do. If we can spend 80% of our time on that task and then 20% or our time in things that we want to do. I think that wanting and aligning that to our goals and the outcomes trying to achieve, it really drives people. It drove me uh, in, in my career. And I'm, I'm, I'm seeing that people that come in with me at the same time, actually seeing that benefit uh, of, of seeing that through. And Roman, do you have anything to, to add on how you promote that kind of progressive way of thinking within your teams? Yeah. And, you know, I go back to, you know, my, the word that I had used for my 40 under 40 uh, interview uh, for the magazine was the word empowering. Um, you know, again, we, I, I like that I empower people to be the best versions of themselves. I empower them to uh, explore opportunities to learn, uh, to become involved and to make people care about transit, to care about the rider experience um, the, the rider experience here is a top priority for us. You know, we strive to deliver safe, reliable, and efficient service with you know world-class customer service. Um, and again, this is not uh, your your grandparents' transit. We need to make sure that we're evolving with the times. Leadership, operations, public engagement must keep up with changing cultural values with a major focus on inclusion. Today's riders want a more flexible transit experience as everything today is on demand. So we need to step out of reactive mode and move more toward a you know proactive mode of operating. Um, I empower the staff to think about ways to charter new territory, explore new ways of doing things and new ways of providing services to our riders. And for goodness sakes, banish the way it's always been done. Um, We need to make transit fun, have an engaging social media experience, uh, bring leadership out on the system to interact with the riders and the drivers, be approachable, you know, don't uh, make sure that your presence there, you know, folks aren't afraid to bring uh, suggestions to you. How do you improve our experience as a driver, as a rider, what have you? Uh, So these are things that I try to empower my staff to think about and work toward. 
That's great, Roman. Thank you. My last question, uh, Carlos, for you and also for you, Roman, basically is give us one specific accomplishment that you've helped create at your agency or in your city Mm -hmm. or county, and then one trend for the future you think that's going to be very impactful for 2023 in the public transit arena. Yeah. Actually, uh, Paul, I was thinking about this, you know, uh, I've done from from bike share, car share, transit, big data on transit, uh, real information, real time information, artificial intelligence, a bunch of different things. But, you know, following what Roman was saying, probably the most kind of proud, right, that that moment is uh, our approach to work with a transit advocacy group, right? There was a moment where we have a transit advocacy group uh, basically being the voice of our residents. And basically, there was a disalignment, and they were pointing in our flaws in our direction, and we're trying to to respond back. And basically, at that moment, I say, no, let's just take a moment in here. Let's work together and identify what's the common goal, right? And actually, by sitting down with the Transit Advocacy Group and having conversation beyond the current back and forth that we had, and identifying a common goal, which was we need to uh, redesign our bus network. That was, that was the bottom line. So we worked through it and a conversation and now have a strong relationship that together, the Transit Alliance Miami, uh, back then it was as Shugley and now Grace Perdomo, we were uh, leaders on the Transit Advocacy Group and helped us lead the implementation of what we call now the Better Bus Network. It was not technology. It was not, you know, um, all these new fancy things. It was more about aligning the administration with the community through the voice of it. Uh, the transit advocacy group towards implementing a project. So I think that to me was phenomenal. Uh, just the fact that we did a very robust community engagement, a very robust analysis component, and hopefully uh, next year we'll be able to implement. That's great. And do you have one trend that you think is going to impact 2023 for our industry? Um, yeah. So to me is, uh, I, I said it all, over and over. I think we need to go back to understand the experience of the user and what they want. Right. When Uber and Lyft came in, there was a lot of conversation about it's going to kill transit. I was like, no, it's actually telling you what customers want. Right. And I think that is being led into some of these kind of on-demand transportation services. So to me, the trend that we've seen over the last couple of years is there is a strong combination of high frequent transit running every 10 minutes, 15 minutes, all day, every day basically supported with on-demand transportation services for reaching a little further out. And I want to push for two wheels. I think having electric bikes, electric uh, um, scooters can also complement the, the service, right? So to me, is high-frequency network. That's, that's first and foremost. Then on-demand services supplement and other mobility solutions can add to it. That's a beautiful picture you're painting. Roman, how about you? One thing that you're particularly proud of, uh, and then one trend do you think that will impact public transit, particularly in your county? Well, one thing that I am particularly proud of is uh, that we were able to secure uh, once in a generation, 100% share federal funding to improve our system. Uh, so we've got a couple different projects in the works, but the highlights are better bus stops, better bus stops. Most of our system is old and there wasn't a whole lot of focus on accessibility or convenience when, you know, stops were just plopped over there in that ditch by the guardrail because the bus goes by that corner. Um, You know, this project will ensure ADA accessibility across our system and strategically deploy uh, amenities such as benches, shelters, lighting, real-time information, et cetera. The overall goal here is a more dignified waiting experience for our passengers. We're going to build a new transfer facility on the west end of Frederick. It's our second largest hub in the system. And right now, 
it's at the front door of a, a boss golfs here in town. And so there's a big parking lot that is generally unused. So we're going to move it out there and have a more centralized actual transfer hub with amenities for passengers. We are also going to undertake a bus network redesign here. The current system design and routes are largely left over from the initial creation of this system in the early 90s when Frederick County was much less dense and sprawling than it is currently. Uh, Frederick County is the largest county in Maryland with the fastest growing population. And so we need to make sure that our system is structured in such a way that we meet the needs of the county now, but also thinking toward the future and how we can you know, make sure that we're modular and able to keep up. That's great. The, the, the goal here is to deliver, deliver more usable, more convenient and reliable service than ever before. Moving into the future, uh, we're going to keep our service zero fare uh, for, you know, I realize that it's not really transformative for some systems, but for us, uh, it has it's been a wonderful experiment for us and we're going to keep moving forward with it. Um, you know, zero fare is equitable across all classes of riders. Uh, a fixed fare is not. It invites back uh, riders that might have been lost during the pandemic, uh, and it invites new riders on board to just, you know, come check us out. The hop-on, hop-off riders who just want to go a couple blocks to explore or whatever with a $1.50 fare might not have ridden at that time. So we're very proud that we are on track for ridership that exceeds pre-pandemic levels in FY23. Um, we're, we're going to try and be as modular as possible, multiple mobility options, because again, you know, a rigid fixed route might not be the best way to serve the customers that rely on our service. And so as Carlos said, many options and how we can interconnect all those for a more seamless and convenient experience for our riders. Thank you, Roman. Wow, Misha, I can see why you chose these two very articulate gentlemen and also very progressive in their view of what's happening next. Um, if if someone is listening to this and says, hey, you know, I'd like to uh, nominate a colleague or my boss or a subordinate or even myself, how would they do that for 2023? Sure. So we uh, will be opening the nomination process again uh, around January 1st, 2023. Um, again, the four criteria that we look at are achievement, commitment, innovation and involvement in the industry. Uh, we have a few years of archived honorees on our website. So if you need inspiration, um, also listen to past 40 under 40 podcasts on Transit Unplugged. That's always a good resource as well. Uh, and the nomination form will be available at masstransitmag.com. Uh, and next year we will be highlighting uh, the 2023 honorees in our July issue. Very good. Well, thank you, Misha, for co-hosting again uh, these two programs. Carlos and Roman, thank you for being our guests today. Congratulations on being honored and uh, thank you for the work you're doing for our industry. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Transit Unplugged, the podcast. How would you like to see behind the scenes footage of the agencies that Paul visits? Then be sure to check out the new Transit Unplugged TV on YouTube where transit evangelist Paul Comfort dives into the culture, the food, and the transit of major cities around the world. You'll see the operations control centers, how maintenance shops work, and the latest innovations taking place at agencies around the globe as we work together to improve the lives of our transit riders and our communities. Be sure to subscribe to Transit Unplugged TV on YouTube or at transitunplugged.com.
We're excited to continue our interviews with this year's Mass Transit Magazine's Top 40 Under 40 honorees. And today we've got with us Sophia Mailitz Franklin, who is the Director of Fair Revenue and Administrative Services at TriMet in Portland, Oregon, who was one of this year's honorees. Misha, it was uh, you picked a great group of uh, honorees this year. Yeah, we and and you know Sophia really stood out to us because uh, as we were talking before we officially kicked off this podcast, um, she really got a wide um, a wide array of support from the private side of the industry, the public side of the industry. Uh, people just really love her. So we, that really piqued our interest, uh, not only her, her technical background and her uh, career accomplishments, but the fact that she is a collaborative team member and really serves as a bridge between you know all different stakeholders on a project really stood out to us. So we're That's happy great. to have her on. Yeah, that's wonderful. And of course, Misha is Misha Wanak-Libman, who's the executive editor of Mass Transit Magazine that puts on the program. Now let's uh, say hello to Sophia. Sophia, welcome to the program and congratulations on being one of this year's honorees. Thank you for having me here. I feel really honored to be a part of this group and to get to talk to both of you as well. Wonderful. Well, let's let's find out a little bit about you uh, for our listeners. Tell us a little about yourself. Uh, Misha had mentioned how you've worked in multiple sides of the industry, which I think is wonderful. Tell us a little about that and, and what you do there at TriMet. Sure. So I'll start in the present and work backwards. Okay. Um, I, I currently uh, manage a team of about 50 personnel here at TriMet that are responsible for fare collection across the agency, as well as uh, several other small items, because if you work in, in the public sector, you know that you cannot do just one thing. Um, there's, there's a many hats you get to wear. So um, inner office mail, document services, I'm branching out into, into other, other areas as well. Um, hopefully, you know, many of your listeners have heard of the Hop Fast Pass system, um, and that, that fair collection system is uh, managed and uh, worked on by my team. And that's, that's sort of the flagship uh, fare collection system in the United States that, that's continued to push the envelope in, in terms of functionality. So it's, you know, I've, I've inherited an incredible solution by a team that, that really envisioned it and stood it up. And then I've, I've gotten to continue to, to work on it and to support operations and ongoing improvements. So, that's been a challenge and uh, a, a very rewarding piece of my work. As you referenced, I did work previously um, in the private sector. Actually, my first day at TriMet was March of 2020. So I came on board right wow. at the beginning <laughs> of the pandemic. Um, got to see that full cycle. Um, but previously, I'd worked for Mobile. I had managed the R&D department for them. Um, and many of you may be familiar, you know, Moveol's predecessor was Globe Sherpa, where I also worked. And they really introduced the first mobile ticketing solution in North America in collaboration with TriMet. And so from my early days at Globe Sherpa and then Moveol, I always worked closely with the TriMet team. So it was a really natural and good transition to come to the agency. Um, and then before that, I was um, with a company called Avanad, and I worked on the Accenture Fair Management Solution up in uh, Toronto and also in Washington, D.C. And so that was, you know, my first job out of grad school, um, 
you know, lived in New York City, the big kind of consulting jobs, got, got inducted into public transit um, by, the, by the luckiest chance. You know, I could have been put on any sort of consulting project um, for standing up an ERP solution. And uh, somehow I got selected for, for a fair collection one. I'm really grateful for. Yeah, I'm based in Portland, Oregon. I'm uh, Oregon native, so I went to undergrad at Oregon State and grad school at Willamette, and um, grew up riding TriMet. So it's it's been really fun to kind of have that full circle. Um, that being back to the agency that that I was initially um, a part of as a as a young writer. And if I could fangirl just for a little bit and uh, talk about your four patents. And uh, what they, did they involve fair system uh, technology? And are they still in use today? I mean, tell us about that. Yeah, so that was a very rewarding part of my job um, managing an R&D department at Moobl. Um, We just got to explore very, like, uh, breaking edge technology in looking at fair collection systems. And so, you know, it's not talked about as much anymore, but there was a big push about four years ago for BN, be out technology, that idea that, you know, asking writers to tap, um, asking writers to care at all or remember at all what their, uh, their fare should be was an onerous burden on the writer. And so we were working with um, Bluetooth mesh technology, Wi-Fi, um, connectivity, as well as NFC to try and make the payment um, solution as seamless as possible so riders could really just walk into a vehicle, walk out of a vehicle with their cell phone in their pocket and, and get charged the appropriate fare at the end of the day. So we did some pilots with that technology um, got to pilot some Bluetooth concepts in San Antonio. And I think a, a lot of the work has been put on pause just because it's been hard to staff R&D programs through the pandemic, but will be interesting to see if it gets picked back up by the industry at some point. Excellent. Um, and then when we were producing the write-up on you for the, the 40 under 40, um, you had included that the, the biggest challenge uh, that you experience in your professional life is uh, that collaborative aspect between financial technology, the, the financial technology industry and government. Um, so it's it's been there throughout your career. How do you find that balance working in the fair payment technology within the transit industry? Good question. I ask myself that same question on an almost weekly basis. So, yeah, financial technology, fintech, you know, uh, we really fall under micropayments within that um, because, you know, we're dealing with $1.25, $2.50 transactions. Um, and so that's a really, like, niche market, the micropayment market within fintech. And there's a lot of innovation there. It's always changing. Um, A lot of the innovation is not happening in the U.S. It's happening in other countries where they're learning how to process micropayments for the smallest cost, smallest friction possible. Um, And that change moves pretty quickly. And if you've ever worked for a public agency, you know that change is really, really difficult. 
especially change that introduces high amounts of risk. And so we have an obligation to, to you know, have systems in place that work well, that, you know, do not fail. And so introducing new innovative concepts, investing funds and time in those concepts, if there's a high risk factor, is really difficult to get through. So I'm really grateful for some areas that where the federal government has helped support, you know, support innovation, knowing that that's the case. And, and one of those is the FTA's IMI grant. And so TriMet was awarded close to $2 million in 2020, um, and a good portion of that has gone towards helping us explore innovative ways to expand open payments, that's contactless credit and debit cards, and um, virtual cards. So your, your payment card in your iOS or Android, your Apple Pay or Google Pay wallets. And so we've gotten to build out some really interesting concepts there. And by using grant funds, TriMet doesn't have to hold the risk of, of those different research concepts. That's great. So that's, actually, that's actually what I wanted to ask you to dig into just a little bit for us was that contactless payments. You know, um, coming out of the pandemic, one of the big lessons I think that most transit agencies have taken from it is we need to be really focused on what makes it easier for the customer to use our services. And one of the things that does that is contactless fare payments. I remember talking to Shashi Verma at TFL Transport for London maybe six or seven years ago, right after they had introduced it there for the tube. And he said that within six months, they had a 40 percent um rate of people that were using it. And I know you've been very successful in increasing the number of people using this contactless card. Tell us just for a minute or two about that, how that works and, and how it's been accepted by uh, the passengers there at TriMet. Sure. Yeah. We've talked with TFL also because their program has been incredibly successful and, you, you know, Europe introduced and widely accepted open payments long before the United States did. So while we had the technology here in Portland, Oregon in 2017, um, you know, it was launched really soon after the launch of HOP. Very few people back in 2017 had any concept of what contactless payments were. So I don't know if either of you, what, what, you know, when was the first time you first tapped a credit card or, or used Apple Pay or Google Pay for a, for a payment? Um, I'm betting it was after 2017. So the pandemic, you know, this is one area where the pandemic has actually really benefited contactless payments. Um, it is now widely advertised and widely accepted anywhere from mom and pop shops to your major grocery chains. And we've seen, as we've seen that adoption in the industry, we've seen that on public transit as well. So, you know, close to 12% of our full fare riders so people that pay a full adult fare are now using a contactless um, credit debit card or a contactless um, mobile wallet to pay their fare. So, you know, two of the areas where we're wanting to innovate in that um, contactless space is first with expanding contactless payments to our reduced fare riders. So currently about 50% of our ridership base qualifies for a reduced fare based on age um, or, or many other factor. And all of them currently need a hop card to qualify for that fare. So if you've talked with California or maybe some other agencies, they're working on integrating with DMV records 
or other validation services to qualify riders for um, reduced fares. And we are taking a slightly different approach because our policy allows us to, to give riders the option to self-select for a reduced fare. So we want to introduce the concept where you, know, you as a rider can go online, input your uh, credit card or debit card number, and then select your associated reduced fare status. And all of the cards associated with that number, whether they're virtual or physical cards, will be charged the appropriate reduced fare. Um, and that would open up, you know, contactless payments to a lot of our ridership base that don't have that access right now. Um, the other area is fare capping. So we have, you know, one day and one month fare caps for our um, closed loop, our hop cards. And we currently only have one day fare caps for our um, open payment cards. And, and most of that is due to, you know, the, the technical ability to track an open payment card over a full month and then month after month and, and provide that information to the writer. But um, there's new sort of IDs that are being introduced in the industry that will allow us to better capture that information and apply a full one-month fare cap to, to open payment cards. And I think that's going to be a especially big impact for our reduced fare riders because a really high percentage of our reduced fare riders reach the one-month fare cap. Um, it's in the, like, 30% range. So, I mean, that's a good shout-out as well to policy. I know, um, Nisha, you brought up the policy question as we were talking before this. You know, technology can serve two purposes. It can serve to really simplify the user experience, or it can serve to make it just as complicated as ever. Um, you know, you can re replicate any sort of complicated process with technology. So it's not the solution for, you know, making an intuitive user experience. Um, policy is the solution for making an intuitive user experience. So each of these new sort of technical concepts or ideas need to be really closely paired with policy improvements to give riders the best price, um, the simplest experience, the right information at the right time, all of those pieces to, to make a really compelling solution come together. Great. Well, that, uh, that is probably, uh, Misha was going to ask you about what's next, but I think you just told us what's next. That's very exciting. Um, you guys, you know, you've got a great leadership team there with Sam DeSue, your GM, and a lot of your leadership team are friends of the program and, and friends of mine and Misha's. And you've got a great program going there, and you are definitely cutting edge of what's happening in the public transit industry, especially in this area of fare collection. So congratulations, Sophia. Uh, Misha, any final comments? No, I think that pretty much sums up, you know, exactly why Sophia was selected for, for the, among this year's uh, group of honorees. Thanks so much, Sophia. Well, thank you for choosing me and thank you for, um, yeah, believing in young professionals as, as we, you know, stretch our wings and figure out how to work in this, in this industry. Thank you for listening to part two of this special series honoring some of the recipients of Mass Transit's 40 Under 40 Awards. This week, we had Carlos Cruz Casas, Roman Steichen, and Sophia Malitz-Franklin, 
along with the editor-in-chief of Mass Transit Magazine, Misha Wanek-Libman. And next week on Transit Unplugged, we have Mike Bagshaw, COO of MTR UK, talking about rail in the United Kingdom. Now, don't forget to go to transitunplugged.com to sign up for the newsletter, so you're always in the loop with what's ever going on with the show. And in the meantime, if you have a question, comment, or want to be a guest, email us anytime at info at transitunplugged.com. So until next week, ride safe and ride happy.